If you would turn to 1 Samuel, uh, we are in chapter 6 of 1 Samuel. If you've only been here a, a few weeks, you may be thinking, so are we going to go through this whole book? Yes, we will. <laughs> That's what we do. We pick books and we make it from beginning to end. 1 Samuel chapter 6, I'm going to read verses 10 through 16. Uh, to begin our time together, and then we'll look at the whole chapter today. If you would stand in reverence to the reading of God's perfect word. 1 Samuel 6, beginning in verse 10. The men did so, and took two milk cows, and yoked them to the cart, and shut up their calves at home. And they put the ark of the Lord on the cart with the box, with the golden mice and images of their tumors. And the cows went straight in the direction of Beth Shemesh along one highway, lowing as they went. They turned neither to the right nor the left. And the lords of the Philistines went after them as far as the border of Beth Shemesh. Now the people of Beth Shemesh were reaping with their wheat harvest in the valley. And when they lifted up their eyes and saw the ark, they rejoiced to see it. The ark came into the field of Joshua of Beth Shemesh and stopped there. A great stone was there, and they split up the wood of the cart and offered the cows as a burnt offering to the Lord. And the Levites took down the ark of the Lord and the box that was beside it, in which the golden figures were and set them upon the great stone. And the men of Beth Shemesh offered burnt offerings and sacrifices on that day to the Lord. And when the five lords of the Philistines saw it, they returned that day to Ekron. Oh God, we gather here today in light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. God, we gather here as a people who have been uh, delivered from a kingdom of darkness transferred to a kingdom of light in your son because you have set your love upon us. And God, today we want to see you rightly. We want to know you rightly. God, we want our thoughts about you and about the gospel, about the work of your spirit to be pure, to be unadulterated. God, we want to know Jesus and see his glory clearly today that we may follow him as faithful servants of the gospel. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Be seated. I remember the moment like it was yesterday. My heart was racing and I, I was scared to death. I could barely raise my feet for each step as I made my way out of the basement of my church. This is a friend of mine who was recounting the night when he wanted to become a Christian. He was in his youth group in his small Baptist church that met in the basement. And that night during their study of the Bible, he, he was convicted of his sin and wanted to become a Christian, wanted to know what it meant to follow Christ. And as he said, he could barely make it out of the basement. And then he finally found a leader in the church and 
talked to them and, and, and this leader sat him down and the leader asked him to recite a prayer after him, to accept Jesus into his heart. And my friend, as he recounted this story, he said to me, it was like a weight was just lifted off of my shoulder. Now, what's interesting about the conversation is at that time, I was actually questioning the validity of his faith in Christ. This was a man who, from that moment, he would admit, had only been to church a, a, a few times from that night where he supposedly became a Christian. He recounted to me a life where, where he had never been involved in serving the church, never been involved in discipleship, a, a, a life where he had fallen into sin over and over again. There were failed relationships, and, and, and I was trying to help him sort through all of that, and I asked him at one point in the conversation, well, so why, why have you never been to church? And, and he said to me, well, the church is full of hypocrites. And in my mind, I'm thinking, much like someone who claims to be a Christian who hasn't been to church in 30 years, right? I mean, that's, that's old and that's tired and it's silly. And so I finally just asked him, I said, so do you believe that you're really a Christian in light of this story that you've just told me? Do you believe that you are really a Christian, that you're following Christ? And he said, yes. And I said, why? Why would you believe that you're a Christian? And he didn't say to me, because I trust in Christ alone, because I, I believe in his death in my place because of the resurrection. He said, it's that night. It's that prayer I prayed. It's that moment of release. And I even asked him, I said, do you remember what you prayed? Not really. Then why do you think you're a Christian? And he said to me, it's that night, and you can't take that away from me. That's the last I, I talked to my friend. But, but that story is all too familiar, isn't it? We probably know and have had conversations very similar to that. Some of us, that is our experience. When we think about, am I a Christian? We look to this one night where I did this thing. I recited this prayer I asked Jesus into my heart, we might say. And we say, that's why I'm a Christian. That, that's why I believe I'm a Christian. I raised my hand during VBS. The director said, do you love Jesus and want to go to heaven? And you said, I don't want to go to hell, but I don't know about Jesus. So you raised your hand and you went through some motions. Maybe you were at a conference Maybe you were at a crusade and you walked an aisle and you held someone's hand and you signed a card and you went through some motions. You really don't even know what happened that night, but you would say it's because of that moment that I'm a Christian. Now, the problem is if there was really no understanding of the gospel, if there was no surrender to Jesus Christ, there was no life change, that's not very different from the sort of paganism we've seen in 1 Samuel. To be honest with you, that's exactly what that is. If it has nothing to do with Jesus and it's just going through some motions, saying some things, doing some things, and then God has to send me to heaven, that's pagan superstition. 
And it's not the gospel. And that's what God is teaching the Israelites here. He's proving this point that it's not always the pagans who are guilty of paganism. Israel is the one who's guilty of paganism. Remember that they go to battle after God has said, I'm no longer going to be with you. I'm tired of your sin. My presence is going to leave. And they say, let's go to war. Sounds like a good time to go to war. God's left us. And they are defeated. And so how do they solve the problem of their defeat? Oh, the ark, the box with the Ten Commandments, with the manna, the ark that represents sacrifice and God's presence and promises with, let's go get the box and bring it out onto the battlefield like a rabbit's foot. Then we will win. Not only that, they gather around the box and they shout, they do the same thing they did at Jericho, thinking now God has to do what we want. And God says, that's pagan superstition. I'm not a rabbit's foot. And then God allows the ark to go to Philistia. He allows the ark to be captured by the Philistines, and they set it up next to Dagon. And the people get up the next morning and they're going to town and they hear the Ark of the Covenant is in the trophy case of Dagon and they want to go see it and what has happened? Well, on the first day, Dagon is toppled over and he's bowing before the Ark of the Covenant. And then on the next day, Dagon doesn't have a head or arms. And and what is God proving? I'm not a pagan idol and you can't treat me like a rabbit's foot. And your enemy can't treat me like a trophy in their trophy case. And and he says to Israel, see what you're guilty of? You've been treating me like a dead idol named Dagon. You've been doing with me the same thing the pagans do. Trotting me out like some, some pagan, magical thing that is going to give you what you want. And you can't do that. And that's the point of the last few chapters that we've been in, is that the Israelites are just as guilty of paganism as the Philistines. And God is done with it. He will not put up with it any longer. And notice when we begin chapter 6, we see pagan repentance. Notice verse 1, the ark of the Lord. Now remember last week, the, the, the term ark of God is used over and over, a very generic term. And only once in the chapter is the ark of the Lord. The ark, this box that represents God's presence. It's actually God's throne with Israel. His presence and his promise are symbolized there behind the veil where sacrifice, where blood is spilt out, where God's presence comes down and is mediated. The ark of the Lord, not a generic God, The covenant-keeping God revealed to Moses who delivered his people from Egypt. That's who's represented here. And, And notice the ark of the Lord was in the country of the Philistines seven months. It was captured. It was enslaved. And the point here is that that is to be shocking. That the ark would be gone that long. That God would allow that. Because what that means is God hasn't been with his people for seven months. And what we've read is that the ark has bounced around from city to city among the Philistines and they have been cursed with tumors. What we see is, uh, what we might know from history is that this was the bubonic plague that came from rats because we'll see in our text today they make golden rats 
as a sacrifice. And here the Philistines have been judged and cursed as the ark has bounced around from city to city. And so they finally get together, verse 2, and they call for the priest and the diviners. And they said, what shall we do with the ark of the Lord? Go get the spiritual experts, the fortune tellers, the tarot card readers. Bring them in and let's see what they will tell us to do with the ark. Tell us with what shall we send to its place. And so everybody agrees, get rid of the ark. But, but, but how are we to get rid of it? And notice, should we not send something back with it? Now this is paganism. It, this God is cursing us and he needs something from us to keep from cursing us. This is straight paganism. And they said, if you send the ark away, to the God of Israel, do not send it empty. Now remember throughout the book, this term glory, this term weight, it means to be full. And now they're looking upon the ark and they're saying, we're being cursed because the ark is empty. It's missing something. And so we need to fill it with some of our glory, something we have, maybe some gold, so God will relent. He needs something from us. So, so he will stop cursing us. Notice, but by all means return him with a guilt offering. Now, in Israel's history, a guilt offering was an offering that was given when someone had trespassed. When they had gone into the holy of, holies of something where, where, where they, had been, they hadn't been cleansed. And so they offered this cleansing guilt offering. And here the Philistines are thinking, we are unclean. We shouldn't have touched the ark. Let's send something back to pay God. And notice, then you will be healed. And it will be known to you why his hand does not turn away from you. And they said, what is the guilt offering that we shall return? And they answered, five golden tumors. Now, some people even believe that that word should be translated hemorrhoids. So imagine going into the jewelry store. Yeah, the, the high ups, they want to send the ark back and we need you to craft some golden tumors some golden hemorrhoids. And notice, I know it's uncomfortable, five golden mice. According to the number of the Philistines, for the same plague was on all of you and your Lord. So this represents the cities, the towns that are being cursed with these tumors that seem to come from these rats. And they're thinking, how can we do this? What should we do? And there's really no logic to it. They're just making it up. Well, we have people with tumors. Let's make some golden tumors. And we believe it's coming from the rats. So let's make some golden rats. And let's send that to their God. Let's pay their God five golden tumors. Let's pay their God five golden rats. Then he will heal us. So you must make your images of your tumors and images of your mice that ravage the land. And notice, and give glory to the God of Israel. Now that's not necessarily worship. That is payment. You are to fill him with something. He is lacking something that you must give him. And notice, perhaps he will lighten his hand from you and your gods, the God of your lands. Notice verse 6. 
Why should you harden your heart as the Egyptians? And Pharaoh, who hardened their hearts, and, and he had dealt severely with them. Did they not send the people away and they departed? And they say, why should we do this? Well, do you remember the story of Pharaoh? Do you remember the Exodus, this little slave nation that was in bondage? And, and all of a sudden their God turned against Pharaoh and there was plague after plague after plague. And this Pharaoh stood before Yahweh and said, I'm not letting your people go. Who are you? I have an army of gods arrayed against you. And this Yahweh began to humiliate Pharaoh's gods one after another. And as Pharaoh bowed up, his heart just hardened over and over and over again. And, and so the Philistine says, let's don't be like the Egyptians. The Egyptians are pagans. We're not. We're going to have soft hearts to Yahweh. And, and, and we only have to be warned once. The tumors and the rats are enough. Let's let this ark go. And notice here how the ark represents the people of God. The ark represents the kingdom of God. And so the lords of the Philistines are saying, let's let the people go. Let's let the ark go the same way Pharaoh ultimately relented. Verse 7. Now then, take and prepare a new ark. Go down to TSC. They got their new line out. And two milk cows on which there has never come a yoke. And yoke the cows to the cart, but take their calves home and away from them. What does a mama cow want? She wants to be next to her calves. You take them, you get them out of the way, and you yoke this cart to her. And take the ark of the Lord and place on it the cart and put it in a box and, and its figures of gold, which you are returning to him as a guilt offering, then send it off and let it go its way. And watch, if it goes its own way to the land, to Beth Shemesh, then it is he who has done this great harm to us. But if not, then we shall know that this is not his hand that has struck us. This is happening by coincidence. Now realize this is all straight paganism. See, some of us are thinking, well, they're trying some good stuff, Right? I mean, gold, they're giving gold to God, golden tumors, golden rats. I mean, that's good, right? And, and now they're going to sort, they're going to make sure it's Yahweh. And, and they're going to put baby cat, the baby calves in the pen, and they're going to send these mama cows out. And, and, and if they go straight back to Israel, then we know it's the Lord. And they're testing the Lord here. This is all straight paganism. The witch doctors were forbidden. Graven images were forbidden. Contact with sickness in this way was forbidden. Contact with unclean animals. A cart upon which the ark rests was forbidden. Testing of the gods is forbidden. All of this is forbidden. This is pagan repentance. This isn't genuine giving glory to the Lord. And what God is saying is, look at these pagans. Look how they respond to the curse. It would be like during, the, during our prayer times today, just us reading our horoscopes off and saying, well, we're doing it in the name of Jesus. 
No, there's a mixture of paganism here, even though it might sound good. And it's, it's this pagan superstition that marks so much of our Christianity today. How often do you hear out, here, I'm sending out some positive vibes, thoughts and prayers. It's just this generic sort of spirituality that's out there. We're retweeting positive golden prayer carpets on Facebook. You see, people, it's worth a shot. Retweet this stack of $100 bills and God will bless you. And how many of you want to do it just to make sure? It's paganism. And it's the same thing you do when you say, well, I'm going to pray today and I really want God to answer these prayers. And so I'm going to set the mood with some candles and I'm going to pray I'm going to play Chris Tomlin in the background. The good Chris Tomlin. Not the stuff he rips off from other people. The good stuff. He does. I like him. I listen to him. But, but the good stuff. And if I really get in this mood and I really feel close to God, then he's going to answer my prayers. And it's paganism that we're so involved with. But, but one of the things that we see here with the Philistines is this idea of karma. And this is probably what most of us as Christians are guilty of. That we, we think, because I'm suffering, these, when, when something out of, out of my comfort zone happens to me on a daily basis, what is the tendency in our heart to think? Is it this is something God has put in my life to draw me closer to him? Or do you immediately think, I didn't read my Bible this morning. That's why I've got a flat tire. Or, or I didn't go to church this week. That's why I'm so miserable. Now, you should do all those things. But that's why these bad things are happening to me because I'm not like the Philistines putting some golden rats on the carts for God. I'm not paying him with my golden tumors. And that's the point here. All of your goodness before God is like a golden hemorrhoid. All of your goodness before God is like offering him golden rats. It looks good in gold, but it's still a tumor. It looks good in gold, but it's still a rat. And on the inside, that's where our hearts are. And there is no goodness inside us. And so how does God respond to us? By grace, not karma. If he gave us all karma, we would all go straight to hell right now because of our sin. And so he relates to us in grace. And he comes to us in grace. And, and he comes to us in mercy and forgiveness. And it's not this back and forth. I have to load God up with my goodness. Because the reality is you could spend a lifetime in Bible studies. You can read discipling 10 times this summer. And you can disciple 500 people this summer. And our church will explode if you do that. But it doesn't mean that God is any less, any more pleased with you. And then some of you aren't even going to read the book. Shame on you. And it doesn't mean God is less pleased with you. God is gracious and God is kind. And it's not what you can put in the cart. And he's not a God of chance. And so we reject the pagan idolatry here. But notice next we see 
pagan kings, verse 10. The men do this. They take the milk cows and they yoke them and they send them back. And these mama cows, they, they get out of Dodge. But notice, as we read earlier, verse 12, as they go, they are lowing. Now, the picture is something has control of them that is out of the ordinary. They're not going on their own volition. That something is sending them back to Israel. And they are kicking against it as they move along the path, neither to the right nor to the left. And then they, they, they get back in the people of Beth Shemesh. This is a priestly village. This is where the priests are at the time. And so they're out in their field, they're working in their gardens, they're working, they're bringing in the harvest, and they look up and say, what in the world is that? Milk cows, a cart. It would have been out of the ordinary. And now these boxes on top. And as it gets closer, oh my word, that is the Ark of the Covenant that left Shiloh. And it has come to our little priestly village, Beth Shemesh. And what do they do? In verse 14, we see that they take the cart and they split up the wood and they burn it. And then they take the milk cows and they offer them as a burnt offering. In verse 15, the Levites took down the ark and the box that was beside it with the golden figures. And they set them on this great stone. The city was known for this great stone, probably a place where sacrifices had been offered. And they say, the ark has been returned to us. What can we do to it? They must have been a bunch of rednecks because they say, let's burn it. Let's burn the cart, split it up. And then the cows, milk cows. Nowhere in scripture do we find offering milk cows as an offering, as a legit sacrifice. But that's what they do. And then the ark sitting there by itself. What are we going to do with this thing? Oh, let's put it up on blocks. Let's put it on the stone. And then the Philistines have been so kind to us. They've given us golden tumors and rats. Let's put that around the ark. Now notice how they're just making it up as they go. When we first read this, we go, oh, that must have been an amazing time of worship. The ark has returned. But here, they're guilty of paganism again. Nowhere would God allow these things to go on. Nowhere would God be pleased with these things. Notice verse 17. And these are the golden tumors that the Philistines returned as a guilt offering to the Lord. One for Ashdod, one for Gaza, one for Ashkelon, one for Gath, and one for Ekron and the golden mice according to the number of the cities, belonging to the five lords, both fortified cities and unwalled villages. The great stone beside which they set down the Ark of the Covenant is a witness to this day in the field of Joshua of Beth Shemesh. Now notice all of a sudden, this ordinary farmer named Joshua is thrown in there. And what is God doing? He's reminding them of who he is. The, the, remember Joshua, the one who delivered you into the promised land? And here I am back into the promised land. I have defeated your enemies. 
And now we're, they're standing around in Joshua's field with the ark on a stone and the golden tumors. But notice the phrase, to this day, the time in which the, this letter, this book is being written, uh, the writer says you can go down to that field and you can see that stone and you can remember all of these things that, that have happened. Now, what's the point here? It is with this event in their mind that just a few chapters over, they will reject God as their king. Here in this story with the Philistines, what God has said is, I'm your king. I'm not a pagan idol to be carted around on a cart. I am Yahweh. And I can be captured in foreign lands and defeat your kings. The ark among Israel was symbolic of God's throne among them. And so what God is saying to Israel is, I am your king. I've gone to the foreign lands and defeated your enemies for you. I've triumphed over your enemies as your king. I have humiliated pagan gods. I have brought foreign rulers into submission. The people, the Philistines have given their glory over to me and I have brought it back like a trophy in conquest. What God is saying to his people is, I am your king and you need no other. And it is with this story, go down to Joshua's field and remember the stone. Remember what God has done. So often God does this for Israel. Go to the stones, go to the stones and remember what I've done for you. And the writer of Samuel is saying, this story should be fresh in your mind. And with that story fresh in their mind, they will act like pagans and reject God as their king. And it's the same sort of paganism we're involved in daily. We'll gather here today and we will, we'll have the word of God before us and we will hear the gospel. We will sing the gospel. We will pray in light of the gospel. We will give in light of the gospel. And then we will walk out of the doors with the gospel fresh on our mind, and we will begin to look for other kings to serve. And Samuel, the writer of Samuel is saying, it's the same thing the Israelites did. That's paganism. Where you just go through some motions, and then you reject God as your king. You, you, you think you can offer him this here today. He's going to be happy with you while you go serve something else. Whether it's stuff, whether it's things that, that, that you, you're so devoted to. Yesterday in my neighborhood, it was yard sale Saturday. Same Saturday every year. And I'm always amazed just driving up and down the road. 